So welcome along to this Sermon Expanded. It has been a while again, and I know, and that is because I wanted to do this next part of Genesis together as one chunk as well. There's no point jumping in and out of some of these stories when they're going to be extended. Sometimes it's better just to cover them all at one go. So that's my reason. That's my excuse, if you want to put it another way, because today we are thinking about the person and the story of Joseph. Joseph, the man you'll have heard about, maybe you've been to see the Broadway show, maybe you've heard the songs, maybe you simply know him as one of the good kids' stories throughout the Bible, maybe you took part in a school play when they did Joseph. You'll know elements of the story of Joseph, you'll know his technicolour dream coat, you'll know about his betrayal, you'll know various bits and pieces, but throughout the last month, and really over two Sundays, we looked at the story of Joseph. It's a massive chunk of the book of Genesis. We started at chapter 37 and it goes through to the end of chapter, of, well, 50. It goes to the end of the book of Genesis. It's, what is that, 13, 14 chapters out of 50? So it's a fairly sizable chunk in a popular survey of the Old Testament, Geisler, that we've talked about on uh, several occasions. It, it puts it under the election of the Jewish nation from chapters 12 to 50. So we have these different chapters, chapters 1 to 11, the story of creation, the story of the fall, the story of uh, Noah, the story of the Tower of Babel. We have those which take up the first 11 chapters, which are very, very different to the rest of the book of Genesis. And so from chapter 12 to 50, Geisler says, is the election of the Jewish nation, how the, the Jewish nation comes to be, in other words. And out of that, even those 38 chapters, 13, 14 of them are about Joseph. And so Joseph's story is a massive part of the election of the Jewish nation. It's a massive part of their backstory. And really, we think about this Genesis, we think about this book in terms of how it was written. In terms of looking back, the story, the book of Exodus begins with the Jewish nation in slavery in Egypt. And so you might wonder, well, how did we get here? How do we come to be in this point? How do we sit here? How do we find ourselves in this position? And that's essentially what the book of Genesis does. It gives us the backstory to how they came to be in Exodus, how they came to be in this slavery within Egypt. And Joseph's story is is a huge part of that. We see the election of the Jewish nation through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then we see the story of Joseph, which brings them into Egypt the story of Joseph, the favourite son. Uh, I could read out sections and read through, but I'll let you pause as we go along and let you, and hopefully you have already read through Genesis as we have been going. We hear about Joseph's dreams. His father, Jacob, found him to be his favourite son. There's a bit of a mixed up family tree there. There's several brothers to certain people. I'll just get that. I find myself every time that I go through Genesis or some of these genealogies, I have to write them out to try and make full sense of them. I do my little spider diagram or my tree just to find out all the different parts. And so we have Jacob, who becomes Israel as he wrestled with the angel and is named Israel. We have his two wives. Interesting marriage that we don't have in our culture, but he had his two wives, Leah and Rachel. To his wife, Leah, he had a daughter, Dinah. He had Simeon, Levi, Reuben, and Judah, Zebulun, and Ishakar. So he had seven children to Leah. We then have Leah's servant, Zilpah. He has two children to her, Gad and Asher. We then have Rachel, 
And Jacob, you remember, who was tricked into marrying Leah first by Laban, and then he had to work for another seven years to marry Rachel. And so he has these two wives to Rachel. He has Joseph and Benjamin, two sons, and then to Bilhal, who is Rachel's servants. He has another two sons, Dan and Naphtali, and they make up the 12 tribes of Judah. If you've been counting or if you've written that down yourself, you'll see there are 13, but Dinah being the daughter isn't counted as one of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, and so she's excluded in that way. That's not sexist. That's simply the way it was at that time that the it was all passed down through the son. Sorry, ladies, if you'd been around at that time. Of course, there is one instance later on that we see in the Torah, and from the top of my head, I was just thinking about this. There are some women who come to Moses and their father's inheritance is going to bypass them because there are no sons to this man and so it should go on to his his tribe and to his cousins I suppose and the other people and these daughters of this man go to Moses and ask well this isn't fair our father's inheritance our father's land is going to leave us and so what are we supposed to do and so Moses changes the law at that point to say that if there aren't brothers if there aren't sons within his fam, direct family, then it will go to the daughters. And so that changes and Moses and and God always seeks to include. But in this way, there are the 12 sons of Israel. And Joseph was the favourite, we're told at the start of this, that Joseph was given this technicolour, multicoloured dream coat, if you'll believe the hype and the stories. And the it simply says, and he made him a robe of many colours. And as when, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. That kind of sets the tone for the whole story of Joseph. That little fact, that little sentence sets the tone of all that's going to happen because we find that Joseph goes out to see his brothers when they're working. He's sent by his father uh, and he goes out and his brothers sell him into slavery. Luckily, they didn't kill him. Reuben the eldest tries to get them out of doing that but he, he he's sold into slavery and off he goes to Egypt he finds himself that he's able to uh, work for Potiphar as, as a slave but um, he was an officer of the captain of the guard in chapter 39 Joseph became a successful man he works hard he obviously is uh, intelligent he obviously is reliable he's faithful in all that he does he's faithful in those small things and so Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's eyes and and becomes more and becomes more important and is given more authority in his house but Potiphar's wife takes a bit of a shine to Joseph tries to have a little fling with him Joseph refuses and so Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to sleep with her or trying to rape her uh, and so Potiphar takes him and throws him into jail this is the way your servant has treated me and while Joseph's in jail he finds himself in with two the cupbearer and the beggar of the king of Egypt who were both confined in the in this prison and Joseph has more dreams and tells what's going to happen to both of them but of course asks he the, the cupbearer that when he's replaced and returned and restored to his position that he would not forget Joseph but remember him and be faithful to him Sadly for the chief beggar, he is hanged and Joseph doesn't get anything out of that. But after a number of years pass, then Pharaoh has these awful dreams and the cupbearer remembers, sorry, yes, the cupbearer remembers that Joseph had interpreted him. So Joseph's brought to that and then Joseph rises to power through Egypt and comes to this position as the, the second in command to Pharaoh because of his dreams and his interpretations and the way he's able to plan 
all that goes on and so we find then this position of authority for Joseph and that could finish the story but from chapter 42 on there's a story of reconciliation when his brothers come to Egypt because of the severe famine and all that goes on and Joseph provides for his brothers and family he tests his brothers eventually he brings his family to Egypt and the family settle in this area in East Egypt and then Jacob dies on Jacob's death then his brothers fear for their lives because they think that Joseph's going to betray them that Joseph's going to kind of take back his word their father's dead and so he doesn't have anyone to for him he's the chief he's the authority he could do whatever he wants now to his brothers and, and seek vengeance for them selling him into slavery but he says to them that you might have done these things you might have meant these things for harm but he says do not fear for am i in the place of god this is chapter 50 verse 619 as for you in verse 20 you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today so do not fear i will provide for you and your families thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to him and then he dies in egypt Interestingly, at the start of Exodus, where we have it, you'll hear me flicking my pages, we get a genealogy, we get a little bit of a story of Israel. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each to his household. We get those names. Then Joseph died and his brothers in that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and became exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And that's how they go into slavery. So the story of Exodus hangs on this background that time has passed and this Jewish nation, this election of this nation is under threat. And so when Moses, who is born into this threat, who is born into Egypt, who is brought about to free the people from Israel, they're asking him, how did we end up here? How did we end up in this slavery? What is God doing and you can imagine that he would tell the story of Joseph because this story of Joseph is a story of betrayal. It's a story of being sold into slavery. It's a story that reflects their story as it can ours as well. Whenever it talks about, in when we put in the, the message of Genesis and Baldwin, one of the, the commentaries, there, there's an idea in which Joseph was able to rise to power in Egypt. It's often been explained by a, a foreign dynasty known as the Shepherd Kings who ruled over Egypt, but the timing doesn't quite fit with when they think Joseph was around. It's assumed that because of his convincing interpretations and faithfulness and all that he did, it's impressive to account for the promotion that follows him. Joseph, it says, is one of the good men of the Old Testament, and yet the mature Joseph comes across without any trace of smug piety. There is universal interest in the childhood struggle for recognition and deep sympathy for him as he is sold as total strangers by jealous brothers. Injustice dogs his steps and yet he avoids self-pity and patiently endures long imprisonment until suddenly his vindication transports him from the depths to the heights. Little reference is made to his faith and yet his character has been matured and his trust in God developed through his trials. Prosperity does not make him proud. 
And when he confers with his brothers, he reveals that he has meditated on the course of his life and has come to see the hand of God controlling even the painful sequence of events resulting from his brother's malicious intent in selling him. His faith has been the making of him. There must be some pattern here which could enable us today to come to terms with life's injustice and suffering in such a way as to avoid resentment and turn evil to good account. That's the big story for us about Joseph. We're not really interested in the small details. We're not interested in the brother's jealousy. We're interested in that final section where Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I think we can all relate to Joseph in that way. We can all relate to the sufferings and injustices that he went through. We can all relate to the times when he was accused of things that he didn't do. We can all relate to the jealousy that other people might have felt of you. You might be able to relate to a part of his story and yet little reference is made to his faith. And yet through this, his character has been matured and his trust in God developed during that time. His prosperity does not make him proud, although it could have for the heights that he went to. And when he confers with his brothers, he reveals that he has no revenge or vindication in mind. But that meditating on the course of his life, he has come to see the hand of God controlling even the painful sequence of events resulting from their malicious intent to sell him. His faith has been the making of him. And so the pattern for us to enable us to come to terms with life's injustices and suffering in such a way to avoid resentment and turn evil to good account hides in the story of Joseph. What enabled him to do that? Well, it must be unwavering faith and trust, the knowledge that something greater was at hand to control, to help. He doesn't have a sense of smug piety that everything turned all right for him, but a sense that God's hand was sovereign in it all. In an introduction to the Old Testament by Dillard, which we had mentioned before as well, says Joseph recognised that he was not at the mercy of chance. He was deeply aware of God's hand in his life, positioning him to serve as a deliverer of his people. In this regard, Joseph's life foreshadows Jesus. In the same way as Joseph, God overruled the intentions of wicked people in order to bring about deliverance. Jesus, after all, was crucified by people who not only sought to destroy him. God, however, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In the light of this truth that God overrules evil for good, the Christian may rest content in the well-known promise that God works for the good of those who love him. And that's found in Romans 8. That is what we strive for. That is what we seek to be we're not at the mercy of chance we need to be deeply aware of God's hand in our lives in all that we do there's many stories throughout the Old Testament and you where it says that you are put in this place for a time and for a reason you are here for a point and that can be difficult at times when things are going wrong or when things stand against us or when people rise up in opposition against us or when we're accused of things that we've never done or we're shunned because of who we are or what we stand for 
we're ignored, we're oppressed, when injustices come on us, that can be hugely difficult. We want to shy away, we want to back down. We, we will have those moments of fear and doubt and worry. And yet we see evidence again here in the story of Joseph that he was a man of patience, showing great patience, showing great faith. I would imagine he wavered at times, even when the, the cupbearer forgot him and could have got him out early. I'm sure his fear of death, of what he would face, came like waves over him. But he avoids self-pity and patiently endures long imprisonment until God vindicates and brings him freedom and liberation. And that is the good news about who God is. He brings liberation. He brings freedom. He breaks the oppressor's yoke. He lifts us up from the merry pit, as it says in the Psalms. Just like the story of Joseph, who knew betrayal, who knew fear who knew imprisonment he was able to say that God used it for good you might be in the middle of that you might be struggling to come to terms with something you might be struggling to to ask why you might be wondering what have you done to deserve this when God says you do not fear this has been meant for evil, but I mean it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive. That many should, people should hear the good news of what God can do in your life. The story of Joseph is one of hope. The story of Joseph is one of freedom, of liberation, of joy. The story of Joseph is about faith. The story of Joseph is about how to persevere under trial. And so may you, my brothers and sisters, know that God of freedom, of liberation, the God who brings about in you a good work. And may you know it deep within your bones. Grace and peace.